Tonight we're looking, continuing our series in the Ten Commandments, and we have got to uh, honour your father and mother. So before we start, I'd like to show you a little clip. It's from the sequel to Meet the Parents, um, and we're going to watch a little scene. Isn't it, isn't it true when, when families get together, it can be complicated? can be challenging. Family life is not always easy. I don't know about you, when I was a child, I'm very competitive. I have to, you know, those of you who know me know that to be very true. And particularly when it comes to games, um, I still have a lifetime ban in my family on playing the game of life because my behaviour at the age of seven was unacceptable apparently. So my parents told me I'm not allowed to play it again. So my wife has stayed faithful to my parents and never bought me a copy of the game of life. It might be that in other ways we're competitive or we, we fight or we fall out or we're just different. You know, we're you know, a bit like um, about Bernie who's a bit more touchy-feely whereas Jack is definitely a bit more standoffish you know keep your hands away from me um, but families can be a place of real joy and excitement and they can be a place of real heartache and pain and maybe as we talk tonight about this 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 command to the to the people of God um, that the Lord gave to Moses uh, to honor our father and mother for some of us you know that's fine it's another commandment we can listen to this but for some of us it really touches a nerve it really hits home and there's pain, there's frustration, there's unfinished business there. And I want to recognize that family life is complicated. I want to recognize it's a wonderful thing, but it can be a hard thing. Family life is the building block of every functioning society. If you go around the world, wherever it might be, family is hugely important. But it's important to think about what we mean when we say family. Um, When we look at this command, honour your father and mother, um, we're talking about family life, about the importance of it in Moses' day. And it was very different family life in the Old Testament compared to family life in 21st century London. Um, So family life in the Old Testament was large, it was extended, um, it included everyone related by blood. So you've got uncles, aunts, grandparents, uh, and a lot of children. Just as today... Family life is complex and difficult, isn't it? Um, two, or however many thousands of years ago, three and a half thousand years ago, family life was complex and difficult in a different way. War, famine, epidemics of disease, whatever it might be, would leave many widows and orphans, those needed to be cared for. You know, in, in the time of Moses, or a bit later on, we'll look at a couple of examples in a bit, but polygamy, uh, men, particularly wealthy men, marrying, uh, having more than one wife and having other, other women who, who they were with, that just created even more complexity and, and, and potential for conflict within family. Not that I'm saying polygamy is a big deal for us today, but it was then, huge deal for them. But what I want to do is just to kind of paint a picture of what extended family looked like in the Old Testament. I want to look at two examples. Um, The first is Jacob. I don't know if you know the story of Jacob. He is one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. As Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob. Jacob was one of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and their relationship in itself was complicated, as was the relationship that Isaac had with his brother Ishmael, which was complicated. So Jacob, he had two wives, Leah and Rachel. Um, he had a favourite wife. He was in love with Rachel. He married Leah because his father-in-law tricked him into marrying her. Imagine how you'd have felt if you were Leah or Leah at that point. Rachel was the good-looking one. She was the beautiful one who got all the attention. And, and, and Laban knew that, Jacob's father-in-law. So he tricked Jacob and gave, gave him Leah so that Leah wouldn't be left uh, on her own. 
But not only did uh, Jacob have two wives, he had their maidservants as well. They were part of his, his family, if you like. So he not only slept with his wives, he slept with their servants. And with these four relationships, it's getting complicated. There were 12 sons, 12 boys. Can you imagine a family with 12 boys? The competitive level in that family is going to be high. Thank goodness there was no such thing as football in those days. That would have been tricky. We see in this relationship, Jacob preferred Rachel to Leah. This didn't just affect his relationship with Leah, it affected his relationship with her children. The story of Jacob and his children tells us that he favoured Joseph and Benjamin. They were Rachel's children. Rachel couldn't conceive for a long time. So Leah and her servant and Rachel's servant, they produced most of the, in fact, the first 10 boys. And then Joseph and Benjamin, Rachel's two boys, were his favourites. Imagine how you'd feel being the 10 other brothers. So what happened? We know the story. The, the, ten, the, the 10 other brothers, Benjamin was at home, sold Joseph into slavery and tricked their father into thinking he was dead. This is kind of a messy family life, isn't it, really? Not only that, Jacob had this long-standing feud with his brother Esau. They resolved it in their lifetime, but this kind of feud erupted in future generations. It didn't just end with them. It kept on going until there were two nations at war with each other. I think the lesson we get from that is we need to learn to resolve family conflict because it doesn't just stop with us. It can flow on and flow on and flow on. So Jacob, his family life, his extended family life was complicated. How about David? We thought Jacob's family life was complicated. What about David? Well, David was the youngest in his family. We know the story. He, Samuel comes looking for the new king of Israel. Saul had been rejected. And he turns up at the house of Jesse, and Jesse parades all of the sons except David. David's the little one. He's in the field looking after the sheep. So he's rejected by his father. When we see the story of David and Goliath, and David arrives to fight Goliath, and he, he kind of speaks with eyes of faith, his brothers just consider him an irritation and someone who's getting in the way of the battle. So David has had to grow up in that family mix. But when he finally becomes king, he had more wives and concubines than most of us have had hot meals. He complicated his family life, his situation. And this large extended family were constantly, literally at war with one another. Horrendous consequences. His son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. We're talking horrible, horrible consequences of this broken family life. And Amnon was then murdered by Tamar's brothers. Revenge um, and, and violence followed this, this family. And David didn't even get involved. He just seemed not to care. As a father, he just was absent. There was no support, no love for Tamar, and no justice for Absalom, who killed Tamar, who killed Amnon. Absalom then plots to steal the throne from his father, which ultimately ends in his death. And we see David heartbroken. My son Absalom, he says, why did you have to die? Why couldn't it have been me? And after David's death, their family continues to fight. You know, our actions in family life have consequences. The Bible is really honest about family life. It's really honest about the, the mess that families can get themselves into. And particularly in this context. So Jacob happens before um, God gives Moses the law. Before the Ten Commandments are given, we know the story of Jacob and others. So when, uh, as part of the Ten Commandments, we're told to honour our father and mother. It's because God recognises that for society to function, for, for our life, for our kind of... The, the, the importance of the relationship between a, a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, uh, we, they need to work. 
if society and family life is going to be healthy. In the midst of this mess, God says, honour your father and mother so that you might live long in the land the Lord will give you. God is for family life, even though we read this, these two horror stories, really, of, of kind of messed up family. God is for family life. It's a gift from God. If we go right back to the start in Genesis chapter 1, um, in Genesis chapter 2, we, we see the relationships that God intended us to have. You know, a husband and a wife, man will, and woman will leave their families and make a new family unit. Families are not meant to split and separate, they're meant to multiply. Because good things, healthy things multiply and grow. They're God-designed social structures that enable us to grow and flourish. Family life is good, it's a gift from God. Fast forward to the, to the New Testament, to the life of Jesus. <clears throat> What about Jesus and his family life? A friend of mine once asked me at university, what about Jesus and the teenage years? Well, that's, the word teenager wasn't invented until 1948, so that might have been tricky. But we do get a glimpse of Jesus at the age of 12, just before he would have become an adult. And we might know the story. They go to the temple. There's a trip up to Jerusalem. And because of the nature of extended family, on the way back, Jesus isn't with his parents for three and a half days. Now, I don't know about you guys, but being away from your parents for three and a half days, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know, but they didn't seem to know where, they, where, where he was. I don't know if any of you have ever been asked the question, where have you been? Is that a question any one of us have been asked by our parents? Where have you been? Can you imagine answering that question after three and a half days? They find Jesus in the temple. I think this is where most parents think Jesus came closest to sinning. I think disappearing from your parents, he didn't sin, but disappearing from your parents for three and a half days, I don't know, I'm not sure i get away with that. I think my family, mum and dad, would definitely think that was wrong. Um, But not for Jesus. He appears in the temple. He's misunderstood by his family. He said, I've got to be about my father's business. And they didn't know what he was talking about. But his mum got something. She treasured that memory in her heart. I think drew it to mind many times. So Jesus knew what it was to be misunderstood by his parents at a young age. He knew what it was to be misunderstood by his parents during his ministry. Well, by his mum and his brothers who came to take him away. They thought he'd lost his mind. And Jesus, you know, utters these famous words. You know, he's told his mother and his brothers are outside. And he says, well, who are my mother and brothers? Anyone who does the will of God, they're part of my family. Redefining family. That must have been quite challenging for his parents to hear. So Jesus, as a son, was misunderstood by his family. And his mum and his brothers didn't understand what he was doing either. But we know that Jesus also probably had to step up in his family as well. We we know that his dad likely wasn't alive when Jesus began his ministry. So at some point, Jesus would have become, as the oldest son, the the main heir, the main uh, breadwinner for the family. He would have taken responsibility for his younger brothers and maybe sisters and helped out with his mum. He would have had that responsibility. He knew what it was to lose a parent. And at the end of his life, he knew what it was to care for his parents, for his mum. He provided her with with John. He said, John, this is your mother. Um, Mary, mum, this is your son, John. He'll look after you. He's the one that will take care of you now that I'm gone. What does this say to us? Well, Jesus knows the complexities of family life. He knows what it is to be in a complex family situation. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it is to frustrate his parents, even though he did nothing wrong. And he knows what it is to maybe even be frustrated by his family. 
And I'm sure that within this room, there are a really wide variety of experiences within family. Some of us have great families where we've been cared for, we, we feel secure and safe and trusted. But maybe on the other side, some of us relate quite well to the families of David or of Jacob, of, of heartache, of violence, of, of, of brokenness. But I want to say this firstly, is there is no such thing as a perfect parent or a perfect family. For some of you who are parents, you really know that. But just to encourage you that, that God is for you. God is for mums and dads. He's for our parents. And he's for us. He's for family life. It's so easy to feel beaten up and beaten down, isn't it? Just that, you know, life gives you a knock after knock. Maybe you're a child and your relationship with your parents is not great. Maybe you're a parent and you wish your relationship with your children was better. Maybe just in family life, it's just been hard. It's been tough. I want us to hear tonight that God is for family. He's for us. He's for taking us from where we are and moving us forward. He's for reconciliation. He's for healing. That's what he does. That's what he does. God our Father is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, and he sets the lonely in a family. That's what Psalm 68 tells us. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, and he sets the lonely into families. He is the perfect father. And he comes to heal and restore all those who've experienced brokenness, maybe in their relationship, our relationship with our own fathers. Because that is what God is. That's who he is. Our father in heaven, Abba, dad, papa, whatever intimate term you would use. And that's what he does. He comes to restore and heal. Jesus in his death on the cross did not come just to forgive us our sins and leave us there. He came to reconcile our relationships. It's central to the cross central to who we are I think that's why he made a point of bringing John to his mum and his mum to John family relationships matter to Jesus in his last words on the cross that's how much our families matter to him that's how much we matter to him I don't know about you you might be a teenager misunderstood by your parents so you might be a parent and misunderstand your teenagers Maybe we live away from home. Maybe our families are on a different continent or in a different country. We struggle not being close in a, in a kind of geographical sense. Maybe we, we've known the pain of divorce and separation. Maybe not to us, but to those we're close to. Or maybe we've been affected in some way by family breakdown or bereavement. We might have parents who are aging or have deteriorating health. The different challenges that we face when it comes to family life. That's why this command is so relevant to us. That's why this idea of honouring our father and mother speaks so much into our context and our culture, doesn't it? I could talk about family life breaking down in society, but we don't need to because we know, we, we experience it, we see it. And God is for us. God wants to restore people. He's not into smacking people down. It's easy to kind of throw stones from a distance. What did the Lord do? He gave up the riches of heaven, stepped to earth, took the form of a baby in a manger. Just what we think about Advent, what we, rem- we look forward to at Christmas. In Advent, we remember his coming. We look forward to his coming. We don't remember it because it hasn't happened yet. But we look forward to his coming. But he came and lived and, and served and worked in a family. He became one of us. So, honour your father and mother so that you'll live long in the land the Lord has given you. Firstly, this commandment's the only commandment to have a promise attached. 
so that you'll live long in the land that uh, the Lord your God is giving you. I don't know about you, but it seems like our culture worships the idol of youth. Is that true? Is that fair? That to be young is the best thing. And after a certain age, and, and if you're anything like me, I always feel like that certain age was always a year younger than I ever was. But, you know, you just feel like you're constantly, you know, I'm just too old now. I'm, I'm past it now. And, and what we find is, is that if we join in with that worship of youth, whatever that might be, you know, we're, we wear the same clothes as our kids. We, you know, whatever it might be, I don't know. I'm, you know, crumbs. Who would want to wear the same clothes that I wear? But never mind. We'll talk about that another time. You know, gray hair is no longer seen as a sign of wisdom. You know, just for men is, is the product to buy. Um, no hair is definitely not seen as a sign of anything good. Um, and there's no help for me. So never mind. Um, you know, we leap, but in the, the kind of darker side of this worship of youth is that older people, those on their own, are left, they're dishonored, they're uncared for and abandoned. The problem is, if we continue to worship the idol of youth, when we find ourselves in old age, we'll be the ones on our own. We want to be countercultural in this and honor our father and mother. Change it around. Change it around. For you for guys of us doing, doing the noise in September, how many people here were involved in the noise? Big social action project, projects around, this, around the community. Do you know, one of the things that, um, the pieces of feedback I got from people who were received or kind of benefited from the projects that we did, so gardening or cleaning hands, is, is they really loved having young people coming to help, to be able to have conversations with young people. And they, and they spoke really highly of you guys, did an amazing job with the project, particularly in Cranmer Road. I won't talk about the frogs, but, you know, that was a whole other story. But they really appreciated that connection. Because why? Because that's just not something they experience so often. Because their image of teenagers is that they're horrible and just break things and vandalize and whatever else. And we know that's not true. But we need to bridge that, we need to bridge that divide. So to honor our father and our mother... The word honor means to give weight to, to glorify or to highly esteem. So we value our parents. We give them respect. We see them as having worth, even if we don't agree with them. And we rule out any attitude where we reject our parents as worthless. That's what it means to honor our father and mother. Again, I know that relationships with our parents can be complicated. Um, We might have made decisions or make decisions they disagree with. um, But we believe that are right and that might cause tension. We might be in a place of serious conflict at this moment in time. But I hope there's some practical suggestions and and things that I want to give to us in a moment that will help us to begin a journey of of, of honouring our parents, of loving our parents, of growing in that relationship with our family. And just to say, it's not just kind of son or daughter to mother or father. I think actually the other way around is applicable too, you know, parents to children. I think these are really important relationships, and I think that God cares for them uh, just as much. So what, there are four things I want to say about how we can put this command into practice. How can we honor, we can respect and love and value our parents? The first is to accept and appreciate them. None of us are perfect at all, no exceptions, and therefore no parent is ever perfect. We honor them because they are their parents, not just because of the way they act. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Paul says this to the church. And the church is a place where there's a whole mix of people, of generations, of cultures coming together. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. It is so easy, isn't it, to be critical of other people. 
and I imagine especially our parents. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about my dad is um, one memory, and I haven't asked his permission to tell this story, but he'll probably listen to it on the podcast. Actually, my mum will listen to the podcast, and then she'll tell my dad, and then my dad will phone me. So that's okay. But it's, it's a lovely story. I love my dad dearly. Um, I had a difficult time. I was 17 years old, and it was my lower sixth year. And it was one of those times in life where pressure was getting to me. So relationship pressure, work pressure. I had no idea what to do with my life pressure, friends pressure. Kind of, I was exploring the Christian faith, but really just had no idea. So it kind of felt like my head was turning all the time. And I remember uh, I did some work experience at a place called the Institute of Freshwater Ecology in, on Lake Windermere. It's a fantastic week. I worked with a bunch of amazing scientists and got to do all kinds of different things. But in the midst of that time, away from kind of school and from, and from home life, I, I was really wrestling with, with what I was about, what decisions I was going to make. And I remember sitting in my car, and I can, uh, in, the, in the car with my dad as he drove me home. And, and he just listened as I kind of poured out my soul. And my dad and I didn't always have these great heart-to-hearts in my teenage years. But this was one of them. He listened. He gave, gave great advice. He was there for me. He didn't judge me. And he did not once say, I told you so. And he probably had every right to. There are times in our lives where we'll have those conversations, those connections with our parents. Let's not forget them. Let's accept and appreciate our parents for what they've done for us. Because they're our parents, let's honour them. And remember that we're accepted by God in spite of our failings, in spite of our brokenness. He loves us just the way we are. That's number one, accept and appreciate our parents. Number two, affirm our parents. You know, our words and our actions mean something, don't they? When we say things to others, our words can bring great power and life to others. The words, I love you can bring tremendous healing to those who've never heard them. I'm sorry can end years of conflict and hurt. What we say to our parents really matters. You know, we can affirm our parents, not just by what we say, but what we do, by involving them in our lives, Um, even if we don't agree with their wisdom and advice. I found annoyingly on the whole, parents quite often are right. That's frustrating when you fought hard to be convinced they were wrong but we want to involve them in our lives. It can be difficult when it comes to parenting children, but, you know, our parents want to be grandparents. They might have a different way of doing it to us. We might disagree on some things, but they want to be great grandparents. That's a great way of affirming our parents of all they've done for us in bringing us up. If we're able to, let's visit them regularly, not just because we need something or because we feel we have to, the kind of dropping in, just popping in. You know, the richness of our relationship with our parents can grow if we invest in them. I think it's so important. That's number two, affirm our parents. Number three, don't abandon our parents. How we help to care for our parents in old age or through illness can be really complicated. And Maybe for some of you, that's where you find yourselves today. I have a, a really dear friend who's going through this with both her parents at the same time who are poorly and ill and, and providing care and support is really difficult. And having seen her go through that, I understand the complication that it can bring. It might be that financially, we find ourselves stretched and having to sacrifice for our parents. The New Testament actually is really, it's for family life and it's for family caring for one another. It's very for parents caring for children. But also it says this in 1 Timothy 5, if a widow 
has grandchildren or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. In the context of who should the church care for? Who should the church be giving resources to? Paul says to Timothy, make sure that those who have family are taking responsibility for their family. God calls us to take responsibility for our families. That's not easy. I can fully appreciate that sometimes seasons in life where this is really hard work, where this is really frustrating and even a sad thing to do. But I think it's really important if we think about honouring our parents, honouring our families. How can we serve? How can we help? How can we be a support uh, by not abandoning, not leaving it to someone else? And the final one is act now. Do you know the reason that one of the... This is the only commandment, commandment that has a finite life. Honour our parents. Honour our father and mother. It doesn't remain for the whole of our lives unless our parents outlive us. We need to invest in these relationships, in fact, in any relationship, as much as we can and as soon as we can. I want to say this. If there are broken relationships in our families, let's seek reconciliation as soon as possible. Romans 12, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I know that it's easy for me to stand here and say, seek reconciliation. I know that where reconciliation is needed, it's always complicated. But we're told to seek it. Why? Because relationships matter. They matter to God and they matter to us. We come alive when relationships are healthy. Maybe we need to be forgiven. Maybe there's something we need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe there's a relationship we need to say, I love you. We don't want to get to a time of illness or loss when we have regrets. Let's not live life with regrets when it comes to our relationships. Let's step out now. Let's do it now. And again, just as a, a note to parents, I'm not a parent. I have loads of friends are, but I am a son. Um, and I know how much I appreciate my dad and my mum investing in me. I think let's invest in our children. Let's, the same things that I've just said about from children to parents, they apply the other way around, don't they? Affir accepting and appreciating our children, affirming them, not abandoning them, and doing it now. Keeping those relationships going. Parenting is a skill that can be learned. Um, I, every parent I ever meet who has a newborn, they often say to me, I don't know what to do. I'm just pretending. Maybe someone will find me out. I don't think we're given a manual when we start, but it is something we invest in. We, we get help and support from our parents, from those around us. We run so many courses here, family time, parenting teenagers. There are great books to get hold of, groups to be part of, people to get support from. Invest in parenting. If you need help, get help. Wise people, sensible people, ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It isn't a sign of weakness. And to finish, um, I want to tell a story, um, an example in the New Testament of a son who dishonors his dad. It's a story that many of us will know. We know the story. The son comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I think that's a sign of dishonoring your parent, isn't it? Dad, give me, give me some money. Give me my money. I want to know you anymore. I want nothing more to do with you. The father gives him the money, lets him go. The son off he runs, lives the high life, whatever that might be. The father waits. He watches and waits. The son continues with the high life, 
continues to spend the money, the inheritance, the inheritance that should have set him up for life, the inheritance that should have given him just all that he could need to help him with a family, but he just spends it and he spends it and he spends it until there is nothing left. There is nothing left. He gets a job and he, uh, feeding pigs. For a Jewish boy, that is unthinkable. And he's eating from the pig trough, which makes it even worse. Only then does he come to his senses. And here's the thing. If we've dishonored our parents, let's go back. If we've walked away from our Heavenly Father, let's go back. If we've turned our back on God, let's go back. If we find ourselves in a mess tonight, inside, let's go back. Do you know what it says about the young man? He came to his senses. Do you know my prayer has been for us today? is that for some of us, we might need to come to our senses. We might just need to come back to him, come back to our Heavenly Father. And the story is, the son comes home ready to become a slave, a hired servant in the father's house. The father, before he gets there, he knows what's going to happen. If the son comes home, there's a party to be thrown, there's a ring to be put on his finger, a robe to be put round his, round his back, and a fattened pig to be killed. We might dread the thought of going to our parents and saying, we need to sort this out. We might dread the thought of trying to restore family relationships. We might dread the thought of coming back to God. What on earth would he say to me? I walked away from him and threw it in his face. This is how our Heavenly Father responds. He runs down the road to meet us before we get near. He comes for us. So tonight, how is our relationship with our parents? How is our relationship with our children? What's family life like? Do we need to seek to reconcile, seek to restore, seek uh, to bring love and life? Do we need to take some practical action in our human relationships within our families? But I also want to ask, how is our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Do we call Him Dad? Do we know Him closely? Are we needing to come to our senses and come home? Our Father is waiting for us to return. He is the Father to the fatherless. If you've lost your parents tonight, if you know the pain of bereavement, our God is the Father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. He sets the lonely in a family. The Father is here by his Spirit, and he's calling us to himself. Shall we stand? We're going to pray. And I know that talking about family stirs a range of emotions. I just want to invite the Spirit of God to come. The Spirit is the one that brings unity. He's the one that brings healing. He's the one that reconciles us through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. I just want to encourage us tonight, let's be open to the Lord. Open to what he wants to do. And Spirit of the living God, we pray, fall afresh on us. Father, In the name of Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, we pray.